All right, you got a Bible, let's go ahead and get it out. Uh, we're going to go to the book of Mark. Surprise, surprise, we've been in the book of Mark since February. Uh, and we are in Mark chapter 9 uh, this week. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, our ushers have Bibles, uh, let them bring you one. Just throw your hand in the air and wave it like you just don't care, and uh, they will get you one. And we would love for you to take it. If you don't own one, you can keep it. If you need to borrow it, that's fine too. Uh, borrow it, and uh, you can return it uh, in the back on your way out today. But uh, would love for you to be able to follow along with what we're uh, going to be talking about today through this passage. Um, and passages. Um, so, but yeah, uh, Mark chapter 9 is where we're going today. So, if you uh, were here a couple of weeks ago, Andy taught last weekend, Ben's brother taught last weekend, which was awesome. Uh, and I'll probably make mention of that in a minute. But um, the, uh, the message that uh, I shared two weeks ago was from the first part of the book of Mark. And in that, in that passage, uh, it, it, it is just, to me, it's like one of, just a great passage of scripture. Like, I loved teaching that, that message, that passage of scripture a couple weeks ago, just because I think God was just teaching me so much and just showing me so much about who he is and, and what he's done. And, and, it, and if you weren't here, let me kind of give you just like a brief synopsis. Um, basically, it's the transfiguration of Jesus, which is this moment when Jesus took Peter, James, and John uh, up on the the mountain with him to kind of get away and have a little bit of a retreat, and then while he's up there, he uh, they're taking naps, okay, because that's what the disciples do a lot of times when you take them up on mountains. Apparently, uh, they, they take naps, and they wake up from a nap with Jesus glowing. I mean, like crazy, like he's glowing brighter, bright white, like. His being, his clothes, every, everything about him is glowing in some way, shape, or form that we probably can't even imagine, just to be honest with you. Like, it was something so amazingly supernatural. It was from the Lord, obviously, and of course, it was the Lord. And so, uh, but you got to keep in mind that for the disciples up to that moment, uh, and I think this is key to understand and even understanding what was going on there with them and why he had them there, was they had just begun to believe that he was the Messiah. You know, he had, he had brought the disciples with him for all this length of time, but the truth is, is that they really still hadn't believed in him to be who he said that he was, which was the Messiah. And so finally, they had started to believe that he was the Messiah, but the truth is they really didn't understand what that meant. And what, what that means is, you know, they believed in a, 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 that the Messiah was coming, okay? They believed that the Messiah was coming because that had been taught and taught, you know, all through scriptures and all this kind of stuff. But, they, but to them, to many of the Jewish people, the belief that the Messiah was going to come was going to be like this political thing. It was going to be like the freedom of the Jewish people was going to be like, they're going to rule the world kind of thing. And finally, God's people are going to get their way, you know, in the world politically and all these things. And that's not at all. That's not at all what Jesus came to do, obviously. We know that now. They did not know that, and they were struggling with this. And so they were struggling with, like, what's it even mean to, uh, you know, have the Messiah, to uh, know the Messiah, all this kind of stuff. And so God, you know, God sends Jesus, obviously Jesus comes, and then, you know, finally they're beginning to believe that he's the Messiah. Well, part of the reason I really believe that Jesus brought the three guys up on the mountain was to help solidify with them that he was the Messiah, but that the Messiah wasn't there to, like, write new laws and try to make things easy on Jewish people. The Messiah had come 
as God himself to do amazing things, most importantly, I think, for us, as we know, which is that Jesus would come and live the perfect life to be the perfect sacrifice, to die the death that we deserve for our sin, that if we believe in him, that we would be saved. That's why Jesus came. And so Jesus is in the midst of this plan, this mission that the Father has sent him on. And in the middle of this, on this mountaintop moment, Jesus starts glowing, as I mentioned last week or the week before, uh, like a glowworm. I mean, like something just crazy, like just amazing you know, deal. And so the disciples wake up to this. They're shocked. And then on top of that, as if this isn't amazing enough, then literally from the dead, Moses and Elijah show up. Moses and Elijah, just out of nowhere. Here comes Moses and Elijah, like, what in the world? And, and, and there's no question, like, they know it's Moses and Elijah. I don't know if it's because they're hearing the conversation or whatever it is, but then Moses and Elijah are there, and they're kind of, you know, encouraging the Lord, we think, you know, toward the mission that, that the Father has sent him on and that kind of thing. And then on top of that, then the pillar of cloud comes uh, from God himself, and that's straight out of Old Testament stuff, and like God showing up, and then God speaks out of it, like God the Father speaks out of it. So like the three, the three, you know, Peter, James, and John, like their minds are blown. I mean, they're just like, they're at a point where like we have surpassed like anything that you can put together at a ride that might be something at Disney or Universal. Like this is like the, the, the things that are happening around them are like Tons of them, and they're all just incredibly, incredibly crazy supernatural things from the Lord. Stuff that, like, we just don't even know. So, you have this moment. (laughs) And the disciples that are with him, and it talks about they're coming down off the mountain. And as they're coming down off the mountain, they're chitter-chattering about this stuff. And they're trying to, like, piece together what's going on and what just happened and all this kind of stuff. And then in the midst of that, they're even like in the resurrection. What is that about? Like he said something about a resurrection. Like what's he talking about? We don't even understand what that means. And then as they're coming off the mountain, they come down to this situation that we have that we're studying today. So you kind of keep in mind that, you know, the scriptures, you know, we, we have numbers and stuff, but that's just for us to kind of like, you know, mark a place and know where we're going and some of that kind of stuff. But the truth is, is that like this passage of scripture is just kind of flowing out of like, this is all happening kind of at the same time. So here's what's going on to kind of give you a little backstory on what's happening when they come down off the mountain. So when they come down off the mountain, before they went, before they left, Jesus looks at the other disciples and he says to those guys, he's like, look, while we're gone, want to send you out to minister in my name. Love on people. If you, if you need to do, you know, miraculous things, casting out demons, whatever it is, like, you, you go, I'm sending you in power to go and do those things in my name. And so they do. And so while they're gone, the disciples have been working. They've been going along and they've been ministering to people and all this stuff. And this is all going really well until what we see in this passage has happened. And this just happens to be, of course, when Jesus and the three disciples come back down from the mountain. Let's let's look at this together. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 and verse 14. And it says this. It says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked, what are you arguing about with them? 
So let's just stop right there for a second. So they've come back to this scene. The disciples have been trying to minister and do their thing. But as we see, the scribes are there, and there's some arguing going on. And let me just kind of remind us of who the scribes are. The scribes were the, you know, the kind of goody-two-shoes guys who were basically like, we have all the scriptures figured out and all of this, and they didn't like Jesus. Let's just, let's just face it. They didn't like Jesus. They were holier than thou. Jesus showed up, and when Jesus started teaching stuff, it wasn't exactly the way they had been teaching stuff. So all of a sudden, all these guys who were considered to be the smart guys about Scripture, the smart guys about the kingdom of God and God himself and all these things, all of a sudden, everything they've been teaching is being questioned because this God, Jesus, has shown up on the scene And he's not just teaching stuff differently. He's healing people. He's doing all these miraculous things where people are like, wait a minute, he's, you know, he's, he's talking some noise about he's son of God. He's here to save the world. He's here to bring forgiveness to all who believe and all this kind of stuff. And so, I mean, just, I mean, basically these guys have been out to kill Jesus. We saw this since like early part of the book of Mark for almost his whole ministry, almost like since day one of Jesus coming out and saying, I'm the son of God and saying some of these things, they are ready to knock him over and kill him. They are on a manhunt. They are trying to basically find things that they can use against him to have him killed. So they are in the scenes, behind the scenes, kind of just, you know, waiting and watching in the wings for something to be done that they can count against him and or his disciples to use all toward being against him to try to get him killed. So we're, we're, we're seeing that. This is, a theme. this is a theme, and we're seeing that here. And so the disciples, remember the great crowd around them, scribes arguing with them. Immediately all the crowd, they saw him, they were amazed, and run up to him, and then Jesus says, what are you arguing about? So before any of them can answer, before the disciples can answer, or before the scribes can answer, it says in verse 17, and someone from the crowd answered him. Who? Here it is. Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, this is Jesus, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. So this guy has brought his son, who is possessed by a demon. And it talks and sounds like something similar to what we might even consider being epilepsy. In fact, there's been people in the past that want to disprove Scripture as being true and that kind of thing. And they, you know, they, they would charge against this. Oh, this is, you know, this is just a classic case of epilepsy or whatever. Uh, we're going to see some things here in just a second that are, again, supernatural and things that happen in the moment that I think lead us to believe this is not just epilepsy. There's something more going on here. This father knew his son had an issue since he was born. Okay, we see that here in just a minute too. And he's come and he's brought his son to be healed to see if Jesus can do something about it. And he finds Jesus not there, but he finds his disciples and his disciples have tried to do this, okay? They have tried to cast out this demon in the name of Jesus, which Jesus had told them, hey, you guys go and you do this kind of work, you know, in my, in my absence, you'll be good. You know, I'm sending you with power, blah, blah, blah. Well, they have been doing that with other people, 
but it's not working this time. And of course, who's waiting in the wings to like take notes about this is the scribes. And not only are they there to, you know, jot this down as another like, oh, these guys are, you know, these guys aren't the real deal or whatever. They're arguing with them. So when Jesus shows up, he's asking, what are you arguing about? He's talking to the, to the scribes and the disciples because they're arguing back and forth. Jesus makes a statement, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. He's not talking down to them, by the way. He's just merely saying, you guys have got to understand there's going to be a moment that I'm not going to be here. And you've got to be able to carry on without me. How long am I to be with you? He's saying, I'm not going to be here as long as you think. How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. So he says, bring me the son. Bring me your child. And so we see him do that. Verse 20, it says, and they brought the boy to him. And this is why I think we know that this is not just epilepsy. And it says, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled out foaming at the mouth. One thing that we see through Scripture, and we see this over and over, is we see that when, when uh, a demon or anything, anything of, of the spiritual warfare realm, uh, Satan himself, whatever, any time that any of them see Jesus, like they know Jesus. Like there's no question about it. They're not, they're not like, hey, who are you? They're like, oh, stink. Like <laughs> this, this guy is about to own me is what they're, is what they're like. And so sure enough, like in this situation, when this is happening, this spirit throws this boy down immediately. It convulsed the boy and he fell to the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said from childhood, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. This is the cry of a father who is helpless. If you have ever been a parent, if you've ever had a loved one who has struggled in such a way that their life is on the line, you know what that feeling is like. You know what that feeling is like. And maybe you've prayed a similar prayer. God, I'm asking you right now, if you could do anything, would you do it right now? I told a story years ago of, of uh, we went on vacation one year, and, and we, uh, woke, we had driven all night or whatever, and then when we got there, um, you know, we're incredibly tired. Of course, the kids have been sleeping in the car or whatever. And uh, Lundy was little. She was little bitty at the time, and uh, when uh, we went to, to bed, we put everybody to bed, we just said, look, you guys stay in here, and you know, you come in here, and you stay in this room, or whatever, and we, eventually, we wake up, and it's Gracie, and Gracie's like, where's London? And we don't know, and we wake up, and we, we start looking around the little condo thing that we were renting, and, and she's not there, we can't find her, she's gone, like, and you know, and, and there's this, this couple of moments in there, you know, first of all, you know, we open the door out to the hallway, and there's nothing. There's nobody. She's not, nobody's in sight, including her. And, uh, you know, I, we just start realizing, like, we're going to have to, like, she's not in this condo, and we've got to find her. Now, she was probably two, and, uh, you know, and so, you know, when your two-year-old little girl has just gone missing, you know, 
I mean, immediately, your mind just starts. I mean, like, I, I, I can't tell you how fast it was working. It was working so fast. Like, I put together a plan of, like, you go down the hallway. I'm going to take the stairwell. You know, I'm just going to start hitting every floor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to open a door, and I'm going to yell for her. And in every, at the end of every hallway, we were right by the stairwell at the end or whatever. And, uh, and I'm going to yell her name, and then I'm going to listen. And I'm going to wait. And then I'm going to go to the next floor, and I'm going to yell, and I'm going to listen, and I'm going to wait. And I just did that, started doing that, you know, floor to floor. But right as I'm about to go in the, into, the, into the thing, I had, this, I had this thought. And we were like, I don't know, probably seven, eight stories up or something. And I had this thought of like, there's a balcony. And I just, I knew I had to go look. Not just on the balcony, but I had to look over the balcony. And I'll, I'll never forget looking over that balcony praying and hoping that God had somehow kept her from ever going out there. And I go out there and I look and, and she's not there. And then I just start hitting the stairwell. Finally, I get to one floor and I'm yelling and, and this, this lady who's a, a, one of the cleaning ladies, she goes, are you looking for a little girl? And I said, yes, I am. And she's like, she's down here with one of our security guards. They're on the elevator. They're going down to the first floor. And I was like, Oh, praise God, you know, and so like, you know, we just run and we find her, you know, we're just a, you know, we're a hot mess. You know, those moments, those moments in life bring us to a place of humility where sometimes we just, we realize it, it shows us our humanity. Like we believe we're in control most of the time in life. And we, the truth is, is, is folks, we are not, we're not in control. Like God is in control, and we are not. And, and it's this reminder of like, we so desperately need him. We so desperately need to rely on him. We so desperately need him to, to show us and to lead us in this life and what it looks like to glorify him and, and to fulfill the will that he has, he has given us to glorify him in all that we do. This man is desperate, and he says, but if you can do anything, verse 22, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Help us. If you can. He says to Jesus, if you can. If you can. Jesus responds. <laughs> and Jesus said to him, verse 23, he says, if you can. <laughs> Jesus turns it. He turns, he just flips it. He's like, God just asked him if you can help us. And Jesus says, no, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. All things are possible for one who believes. That's a strong statement. That's a big statement to make. You know, and, and I'll just tell you, there's a lot of people that take this and, and they, they want to make this and use this as some kind of like, I've got a way to control God and the outcome of things in this world. That's not at all what Jesus is teaching here. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you need to believe. We need to believe. We need to believe. I think for us, I think a lot of times... For many of us, we believe, but we still struggle with believing at the same time. 
I think that that's where we're going to see this guy. In fact, I just want to go ahead and read it. It says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. This, folks, is like one of the most honest verses in all of Scripture. This guy, in this moment, is standing in front of the creator of the world. He may not realize that, but we realize that. And he is saying to him, he, he knows, like he's, he believes, if anything else, if nothing else, he believes that Jesus has the power to do something about this or he wouldn't be there. He knows this is the last straw. He is worried about his son. He's worried his son is going to die, that this thing is going to kill him. It's already trying to kill him. That's where he is. And he looks at Jesus and he says, I believe, help my unbelief. What? That's two different things, right? But isn't that our struggle? I mean, isn't that our struggle right there? Isn't isn't it that we as believers, struggle to believe? I struggle to believe. Like, wait, what? The preacher say that he struggles to believe sometimes? Absolutely. I, I bet I can make an argument that there's not a Christian that exists in the world that hasn't struggled or doesn't still struggle with unbelief. Uh, not me, Chris. I, you know, I, that's not me. I, I, I always believe, you know, I, I believe in God all the time. I, you know, I never struggle with unbelief. You know, me and God, we, we're, we're, you know, we're two peas in a pod. He's my boy, right? Okay. Then let me phrase it like this. Do you ever sin? Because when we choose to sin over choosing to do what we know God would have us to do, we're choosing unbelief. We're choosing in that moment that we believe that to be better than what God has for us. It's not some game for God. God loves us. He cares for us. He doesn't want us to sin because he knows that it destroys and it hurts us. And he cares for us. We're we're his children. He loves us like a father. He is so brutally honest with Jesus in this moment. And, And I'll be honest with you. My, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this last few days. You know, I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure if I would have said the same thing. I think there's part of me that would be afraid that I would lie to Jesus, like hoping that I'm going to say what he wants to hear. You know what I'm saying? Like that when Jesus asked me, you know, like, well, all you got to do, if you can, then believe. And then that my response would be like, I believe, I believe. I'm good. Let's, let's go. You know, here's my kid. And No. He, he, maybe, because he, he doesn't really know. He doesn't know if he tells him the truth that what, what if Jesus said, oh, oh, there's some unbelief. Okay, well, I can't, I can't help you out today. But he humbles himself before the Lord. He humbles himself. And folks, this is where God wants us to be. God's not interested in Christians that think, that they've got it all figured out, and they can do it on their own. In fact, I think that's probably why, and I think we'll see that here in just a second, that's why we see that the disciples can't heal this kid on their own. It's because they're trying to do it on their own. Folks, may we be reminded, 
something about the gospel, and that's this. We need Jesus as much today as we needed him the day that we first met him. We need him to help us through today, Sunday, October the 28th, 2018, as much as we did 20 years ago when we got to know him the first time, or 10 days ago, or whatever it is. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the, clean, the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Hmm. Depending upon who you read, talk to, doesn't matter really at the end of the day. People kind of argue back and forth about whether or not the boy really died. And, and the truth is, is, the way I look at it, it doesn't really matter. Jesus healed him no matter what. If he died and he brought him back to death, from death, and yeah, he, he healed him and he gets to be part of that very small, elite few people that that happens, has happened to in the world. Jesus does something that that dad couldn't do for himself. He saves his child. And we feel helpless at times like that. Like, I, we can't do, can't, I can't do, you know, for my kids, can't do even for myself what God has done for me, which is to take the place for me in the death that I deserve. You see, you see, the funny thing about sin is sin deserves death. There is a penalty to be paid. There is such thing as kingdom justice. In fact, I had this conversation, you know, with... Uh, some guys this week got to getting to meet with our fire department now and kind of help them with some stuff. And uh, we were talking this week and just kind of having like an open, open forum kind of thing where they could ask questions about some things. We got to talking about forgiveness and, you know, what can you forgive and how do you forgive? And, of course, Andy just talked about this last week, which was so powerful. And, and man, if you'd been at our micro church last Sunday night, you'd seen how powerful it was, like God just moving and just, uh, amazing ways, just and, and some of it hard and some of it not so hard, you know, but just, you know, being reminded of what God has done for us and how he's forgiven us and he loves us and all that. And so I was talking about that with some of them. And just that whole idea, you know, you, you've heard that, that slogan, you know, uh, that uh, some of our armed forces have used, uh, not officially adopted or whatever, but, uh, you know, to shoot them all and let God sort them out kind of thing. And I told them, I said, you know, I've always taken this this opinion of like, you know, what if we forgive them all and let God sort them out? Because, I mean, it's so easy for us to like hold things against people in this world where we just become bitter and it just, and it just creeps in on us and it hurts us. And, and, and Satan, that's what Satan wants for us. He wants us to be hurting in those ways to keep us from allowing God to heal us from those things. And, uh, and obviously, a lot of people have done great things that have hurt us tremendously uh, one of the guys in our group last week so eloquently said, 
uh, and he's the least eloquent of everybody in our group, and we would all agree with that, and he would be okay with me saying that. But he said, you know, when we do that, we're allowing those people to control us and to let God allow his forgiveness not just, not just free us from sin, but to help heal us from the hurt and the things that people have done to us in this world, I think is so huge. And to be reminded that at the end of the day, God is a just God, and if he needs to take care of something, he's going to do it. He'll sort them out. It's not for us. It's not for us. And you know what? Praise God it's not for us. This dad was so honest with Jesus. It's true humility. It's a picture of like bringing everything to God, not just, not just the things we want, but like the messy stuff, like, God, here's my unbelief. The truth is, is that God helps us to believe. God gives us more faith. Did you know that? I want to share this other little piece out of Luke 9. This is the same, this is the same account of what we're talking about this morning with uh, the guys after they've come down off the mountain, they've run into the disciples and the scribes, they're arguing, there's the dad with the son and all that stuff, and, and then Jesus has healed him. I want, I want to read the very end of this account because I think it's just so awesome. Luke nine forty two. it says this. It says, while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. <clears throat> you imagine being that dad or even that son. His whole life, he'd had this thing in him. This thing trying to control him and pretty much controlling him causing him to do things he couldn't help. Like somebody looking in from the outside, but you can't even talk about it. You can't say what you really want to do despite the fact that your body is doing something completely different because he was mute. This thing made him mute, made it where he couldn't talk, and then was trying to kill him on top of that. Imagine being that dad, getting his son as Jesus gives him his son back. That, that was probably like getting his son in a way for the first time ever. Would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in the conversations that that son and father would have had after that. The first time that he's able to actually speak, talk, and tell him that he loves him. Thank you for not giving up on me. And then it goes on, it says, and all were astonished at the majesty of, of God. All were astonished at the majesty of God. Huh. That, that's the goal right there. You know? That's the goal. That all were astonished at the majesty of God. That we, in the things that we do, and that in this life, people wouldn't be astonished at us. They wouldn't go home and look at, look at how awesome that guy is. That guy's pretty awesome. No, but that they would be astonished at the majesty of God in how he works in our lives. 
That doesn't happen unless we allow God to work through us. That doesn't happen unless we allow him to be seen in us. But it will happen because his majesty will be seen. And scripture teaches even the rocks will cry out. Even if we're not willing to glorify God, he's going to be glorified. His creation will sing his praise. But we have been given this chance to fulfill a plan that he has for the will, his will for our lives, which is his glory, which is this, that people would know him because they know us. And folks, if they know him, they'll know his majesty. They'll see him work. We won't have to set it up. We won't have to talk it up. God will do it because the truth is is that the Holy Spirit speaks to people's hearts, not us. God's the one who gives faith. God's the one who helps belief. I want to help people to believe. I want to help people with their faith. But you know what the truth is? The truth is this. I can't do it for them, but God can. That's amazing when you think about it. God (laughs) helps us to have faith. He helps us to believe And he speaks to our hearts to help us to see our need for a Savior. And then he saves us. He's doing everything for us. He is literally holding our hand like a little child, taking them along. You know why? Because he's a loving father. And that's what loving fathers do. They'll hold our hand. And they'll take care of us. And they'll protect us. And they'll lead us to exactly what we need. It's no wonder that all were astonished at the majesty of God. Furthermore, you look at that verse right before it, and gave him back to his father. Isn't that what Jesus does for us? Doesn't he give us to the father? Doesn't he bring us to the Father through the cross, through the resurrection, that in his death we might find life? He's bringing us to his Father. That's that's who Jesus is, and that's what he wants to do, and that's what he wants to do for you. And you may be sitting here today, and you may be going, not me, Chris, you don't know me. I've done some crazy stuff. I've done some stuff back in the day. I'm just telling you, God doesn't love me like he loves you guys. I'm just here to tell you that if that's what you believe, you have bought a lie. And Satan is standing on the sidelines, and he is clapping, and he's like, that's what we want right there. Unbelief. Don't believe. Don't believe that God could love you because of the junk that's in your past. It's a lie. God loves you. He cares for you, and he sent his son to die for you as much, if not more, than he did for me. Mark 16, 16 says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Believe, 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 believe. What did he say to the guy when the guy said, if you can help us, 
And Jesus said, no, if you, if you can believe. And the guy says, what? Oh, I believe. And I need help with my unbelief. Let's go back to that passage. If you go to the very end, verse 28 in Mark 9. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Talking about the demon and the boy. They're confused. They're like, Jesus, we've been doing this other stuff for you. It was going fine. And then all of a sudden this, and then the scribes were there, and of course they're like ready to jump us, you know, in a, in a heartbeat. Why could we not cast it out? In verse 29, he says this. He says, and he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. What? You telling me that the disciples were doing this stuff before and then all of a sudden they couldn't do it here? You know, and, and then they, because they didn't pray? Jesus is trying to make a point here. He's saying, guys, you were trying to do it by yourself. You were trying to do it by yourself. Quit trying to do it by yourself. That is unbelief. We've got to believe and see that we need Jesus as much today as we did the day we first knew him. We've got to see that we have a need, that we need God to lead us today as much as we needed him to lead us that day that we first knew him. We can't let our unbelief and our thinking of into our abilities of what we're capable of doing here and now get in the way of God wanting to use us for his glory. Jesus wasn't mad at him because he's Jesus. He's gracious, right? He's like, look, guys, you just went about it wrong. Your hearts were in the right place, but you were trying to do it without me. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by the word of God. God gives faith to the doubtful heart. Maybe you're here today, maybe you need faith. Maybe you need help to believe. Maybe it's in some small area of your life. Maybe, maybe you're one of these folks that I've had conversations with in the last couple years where you're saying to me, you know, God is leading me to do something. I know God is like pushing me right now to do something for his kingdom. And you might have even had like some action steps, like you were ready to go, like, you know, once upon a time, well, I think, you know, we're going to do this, maybe do that, and we'll try this, we'll see how that goes. And then the truth is, is that you've backed off. And here's why I think we back off of those things when, when we feel like God is leading us to do something, but then we back off away from them. I really believe it's because we have begin, begun to not believe. We begin to question. Oh, I don't think I'm good enough to do that. I don't think I've got the knowledge to do that. I don't think I have the abilities. I don't think I've got the time. Folks, if we don't have the time for the things that God calls us to, what do we have time for? We're just making life about us. And that's not what we're called to. We know that. God wants to take your unbelief 
and crush it and use you for his kingdom. it, It just seems like to me there's so many people that are struggling these days with one minute feeling God leading them to do something, and the next minute they're doubting it. And here's, here's where I honestly think that the rubber hits the road, is it's when we cease to seek the Lord, when we cease to spend time with Him, when we cease to be in prayer, leaning in on Him to guide us and direct us, sensing and hearing from Him in His Word, when we stop listening to the Lord, When we stop seeking the Lord, we stop feeling called to do things because all of a sudden we've replaced that time with things about us. And the truth is, a lot of times, the things that God leads us to and calls us to don't have anything to do with us. This week at our pastor's conference, I enjoyed all of it thoroughly, to be honest with you, but I, I was reminded of something during the week as uh, we, had, uh, we had a moment of prayer time that just was like a lot of it just spent in silence, just kind of giving prompts of like, hey, pray about this, think about this. kind and that, of, And that meant the world to me. And I was just kind of in a place with uh, something going on with one of my family members even that probably keyed in on some of that. But in general, just it was just a good time for me. And I, I know some of the guys are actually we were, was with us, they were struggling because we were tired. It had been a long day or whatever, and it was like 9.30 at night or something, and we're doing this like, hey, be in silence thing, you know. And, uh, but I loved it. And, uh, and, and God was you know, speaking to my heart, and he was just encouraging me, and he was helping me just do the thing that God does, which is just give me peace. You know, I mean, sometimes we just need peace, right? And in the midst of everything being so crazy, it was just like, man, God was just giving me some of that peace, and I was just so grateful for that. But as the week went on, I was listening uh, to all these guys teach and everything, and, and, and some amazing, amazing guys that spoke to us this week. And there were some guys that like, like really uh, you know, had, had great talks on things that were you know, biblically-based principles of you know, things that would be helpful in this life, and, and, I, and I enjoyed them, and, and they were good. But I'll tell you, the things that really ministered to me this week were the moments when these guys were opening up Scripture and God's Word was being taught and being poured out and it was healing to me. And I just, I just remembered, and even last weekend when Andy spoke, I just remembered like how good that is just for us to spend time in God's Word and how it helps us not just find peace, but it heals us and it gives us direction. And it's just so good. And, and folks, I don't want us to be a generation of people who feel God leading us to do things, but we never follow through with it. That comes out of a people who don't consistently just seek the Lord, seek the Lord, seek the Lord. I'm encouraging us today. So let's seek the Lord. Let's be a church who seeks the Lord. If we're going to fulfill these things that God's called us to do in reaching some of these kids out of some of these homes where, where their parents are ODing and all this other stuff's going on, crazy stuff that we can't even imagine, I'm going to tell you what, we got to seek the Lord. We need to press in. We need to lean in. We need to pray, and we need to pray that he will lead us. Because if we go about doing it ourselves, it'll be about us. And it can't be about us. It's got to be about him. It is for his glory that his majesty may be seen. And you may be sitting here today and you may be saying, Chris, I, if I prayed right now, I don't even know if I would know what to say. Let me read you a scripture. Romans 8, verse 26. It says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness 
For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches our hearts, what is the mind of the Spirit? Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Folks, if we don't know what to pray, guess what? The Lord will step in and the Holy Spirit will pray for us. So he gives us faith, and he helps us believe, and he sent his son to die for us, and he's giving forgiveness, and he's giving grace, and he's even willing to help us pray. This is the dad that we never had, folks. This is the one that loves us with all the love that we could never even imagine possible for us. It is the love that would send a son that would give his life so that he could give us back to him. He can help us with our unbelief. Let's pray together. God, I pray right now, I pray that you would help us with our unbelief. I pray that you would guide us to be the people that you've called us to be. God, We don't even fully know what that means some days when we're asking for it. But God, I just pray for us right now, Lord, that you would lead us. God, help us. God, you are enough, and we believe that, and we trust that. God, I pray pray for healing over hearts of people that are hurt. God, including my own. God, help us. Help us to trust in you. Help us to realize that you are willing to literally do it all for us if we, have, if we don't know what else to do, that if we will let you, you'll do it. God, I pray that you would do that for the hurting, for the broken. I pray that you would do that for those of us that don't even know what to pray. God, pray for us. May the Holy Spirit speak on our behalf to tell the things of our heart. God, I pray that we would humble ourselves before you like a dad who doesn't know what else to do and doesn't know where else to go. God, may we put it all on the table. God, we believe. Help us with our unbelief. God, for anybody that hasn't trusted in you to be their Savior, God, I pray that today would be the day that you would save them. God, thank you for your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.